Soul, a podcast for a better you. Your host, Steve Hudgens, is a licensed professional counselor. On a non-emergency basis, you may contact them at area code 918-280-8690 or coachsoul.com to provide them with new topics, feedback, or to request an appearance on the show. And now, here's your host, Steve Hudgens. Hey, welcome back. I am so happy to be able to bring on a co-author of several books that we co-authored in an anthology. Nicole, welcome to our show. And uh, we're so excited to have you as part of our guest on, on today's show. Can you tell our listeners a little about who Nicole is? Definitely, Steve. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have met you during our time co-authoring on these anthologies. And uh, I'm Nicole Angai-Galindo. Everyone knows me as Nick. My name is a mouthful. And I am uh, an entrepreneur. I recently started my business called The Gifted Bipolar Writer. Um, And it actually was because of writing in these anthologies um, that this came about. This this was not foreseeable. I work full time. I have a, a job uh, working in the elevator industry for the last five years. So my life has definitely taken a, a huge turn uh, these past nine months of my life. So you have a very distinct and unique accent. Tell us a little bit about where your background is from. Sure. Um, so I am from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. Um, I currently live uh, Long Island, New York. And, um, you know, it's funny because if you're not familiar, Trinidad and Tobago are two separate islands, but they're one nation. Uh, Trinidad is the larger of the two islands. So my homeland can actually fit in Long Island. That's to tell you just how small uh, of a country it is. We're just about one point something million people. Uh, so that is, I guess, a bit of where my accent comes from. It's um, It was under the British rule uh, for quite a while before it gained its independence uh, in the 1800s. So there is a lot of the English culture still infused, mixed with the Caribbean. So you kind of get that, that mixture of the accent. That's interesting that you grew up in in that area and your British accent comes out a little bit in you and here you are <laughs> what what brought you to New York um believe it or not I was 19 and I fancied myself in love and I I um had a boyfriend that I was dating for two years and I told my mom I'm going and I left with a hundred dollars in my pocket and a suitcase full of clothes and I never went back um, I am now 47, so if you do that math, uh, 19 to 47, but uh, yeah, it was um, definitely one of those spur of the moment things. And when you're 19, you don't want anybody to tell you you're not in love, like, come on, really, you know, everything. Um, and uh, and that led to my my life being here in New York, and I've always been here. 
So when you come to New York, it was it more of a culture shock for you? Because you're coming from, you know, a, a British established country. And mm -hmm. now you come to the United States and New Yorkers, they have this very blunt and very direct <laughs> personality. Okay. And when you come from the South, a lot of people can't handle that. that and that's true. why a lot of people couldn't handle Trump is because he's a New Yorker. He's very blunt and direct. And, uh, you know, you get into this culture, which is totally different. But I mm -hmm. have lived in uh, Wimbledon, uh, England for a uh -huh. month at the YMCA and okay. uh, really enjoyed exploring England. But they, too, are very direct. So did your culture fit? So, well, how do I say this? Um, Trinidad is a third world country. So let's start there. So the the shock itself of of moving to a country that is ginormous compared to this dot on the globe, if you will. <laughs> but um, I always travel to the United States with my parents on vacation, so I was not unfamiliar. However, coming on a vacation and living here and building a life here and working here, completely different things, completely different. Um, there was a story that my mom used to tell me at bedtime. And I think that, uh, again, it's just one of these storybooks that I don't know if it's in the Caribbean in general, but it was in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. And I, I forget exactly. I think his name was Dick Robinson and his cat. And it was about um, the streets of, I don't know if it was London being paved with gold. So, you know, there's this thing... Um, I don't want to say just for the Caribbean, perhaps people in a third world country, they think they go to a country such as the United States and um, everything's easy or, you know, and it really isn't. No matter where you go in this world, you have to work hard for what you want. Mm -hmm. um, there, there, I, I was like, okay, mom, that, uh, that little story's gone now. It's not in my head anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, the American dream is certainly there. The opportunities are abundant. And if there aren't any, you can create your own. So, you know, hard work, um, it does pay off. It really does. So here you are. You come to New York and a whole different lifestyle for you. And as you were growing up, what did you learn about yourself? Because as you begin to start writing, was this your first time writing in an anthology or even a book at all? Uh, it actually was. Uh, my story is I fell last year, December 7th, 2022, on my job and broke my knee in four places. Um, I was six months into that job. I was on top of the world and I'm like, oh my God, who falls in their job six months into the job? I'm like, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> Uh, not only was I not fired, I work for an amazing company uh, called Island Elevator. And these people paid me my full salary, took the 70% from workers' comp, uh, sent me flowers, um, sent me my favorite dinner before my surgery. And they were great. 
However, with that fall, I found myself now unable to work for three months mm. and pretty much stuck in the house. I, I couldn't even step out of the house. And I always loved to write, just never really did it before. Life happens, you know, you have bills to pay, uh, you have kids to take care of. But at that time, I kind of threw myself into my LinkedIn. I had only recently started on LinkedIn and I was posting regularly. The Thursday before my surgery, I put a post up called Talk Through Thursdays. And I invited people to either vent or share a win, big or small, or they just needed some encouragement to get through the rest of the week. That post has run every single Thursday since I missed one. And as a result, my community's kind of gone from you know, the under 500 connections to about 4,300 connections. Oh, wow. So I joined a community called the Hounds of Business. And I met Lachelle Atkins, Supermom of 15 Kids, who I know you know. Yeah. So with that, I got on a show, a show that she hosts with Missy Lee Riston, who is the pub uh, publisher and the owner of Cam Ground TBD Publishing. Mm -hmm. At the end of that show, she said, I heard your story about your adversity with your knee. I'm doing an anthology called Now What? Would you like to write in it? I was like, me? Right? Write in a, you, you mean write in a book, right? I had never written anything like that before. I, I said, yes. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And I did I had a week to hand in that draft and I did it and we published and it was the most amazing feeling in the world. Um, and I got such a unique opportunity as well. The day before launch day, she reaches out to me and she says, I'm in trouble. The graphic artist pulled out and pulled her chapter out and I need launch day graphics made. I said, okay, I am two weeks in a kind of a trial. Like, uh, you sure you want to ask me? <laughs> but again, I I think falling and, and breaking my knee and losing that ability to walk made me realize that there's so much more of myself I could tap into. I said, yes, I was up till two in the morning. I made those memes for 40 authors. Today, I could do them like really quick as a template because I do offer that as part of my services. I design book covers, as well as do all the marketing for the graphics for book launches. But that was the start of something really magical. I had no idea that I would be good at or even be as passionate about graphics as I am about writing. So when Misty Lee approached with the second book, My Two Cents on Self-Love, it was a no-brainer for me. I'm like, oh, yes, I am going to do this. And, uh, and, and I, I just amazing. actually, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's amazing that, you know, here's an event that Misty's going through. You're going through your own stuff. Mm -hmm. And look what you discovered is a, a another talent that you can use to help you to get through. And you helped her. You know, that's one of the things that I try to bring out on our podcast is that you're not alone. That's why the logo is called Be a Better You. Not to say that you're not any good where you're at, 
I look at that in any walk of life, we should be able to be better than the last second of where we were. To be able to learn. Say that again. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And why not? And look at what you've discovered. So I'm curious because when we did talk about our uh, the now what, because we wrote in there in a line of my two sons of self-love, what uh, you label yourself. I do. What is that label? I label myself the gifted bipolar writer. And that's what I named my company. And the gifted part has nothing to do with my writing. You know, it could come across that way. The gift is my bipolarness. It is a label, if you will, but one that I have given to myself. I am bipolar too. Uh, My father's bipolar one with mania. I have a couple of uncles that are schizophrenic. Uh, Mental illness seems to run uh, in my family. So um, I went through some pretty rough teenage years and in my 20s. In Trinidad, uh, you know, being a third world country, the healthcare system is not that great, needless to say. Um, And it wasn't that long ago that people did not recognize mental illness as an actual disease, a treatable disease. So it would be many years before I would find the help that I needed. But I did. I did. About three years ago, I kind of, it was the year of COVID, like for many. I uh, stopped taking my medication. Nobody was going to the pharmacy. You know, people weren't going to doctor's appointments. And uh, the thing with, with depression in general and being on antidepressants is you think I'm good. I don't need it anymore. But you don't realize it does leave your system eventually. And that's when you crash. And I had been there before. But again, you just, sometimes you don't learn until you have to learn. And I did. Those two months of STD changed my life. And I have lived the best life I have ever lived in the last few years. I have not, not quite somewhere, had, I have not fallen back since then. You know, as a clinician, I try to be more reserved in my um, quote unquote uh, labeling Mm -hmm. or what we call diagnosing. And as clinicians, we are told that we have to have a diagnosis in order for the insurance to cover to pay. And that's unfortunate. And when I look or hear about people, I try to see where where they are and try to figure out what is the best suited area. But when you get told that you're bipolar, there's a stigmatism that stems around that you're not functional. And that's one of the things that I want to bring out to the listeners is that for those who suffer from being bipolar, you're not alone. And so, Nicole, you you talked about your your father having this and your uncles. Talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in a home with mental illness of bipolar. 
Um, it wasn't easy. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, growing up in households with any sort of something to deal with, and there's so many things, right? This just being one of them is easy for anyone. Um, my my father, with I know, loves me very much. And um, now because I walk this walk, I can understand that the peaks and the valleys are sometimes beyond your control. Mm-hmm. It was not always uh, his choice in a way. Um, the way he behaved in certain situations. And uh, he actually is being treated now as well. And I can say this from the truth of the fact that I have lived with this my whole life. I know what I'm like when I'm on the medication versus when I'm off. I know what I'm like when I have the support system and when I don't. And I am very fortunate to be in a space now where I have an incredible support system. And, you know, I think that people need to understand that the medication, the medication is just a crutch. It's not going to make you walk again. If you want to walk again, you have to use that medication as a tool. But you need to take the therapy in conjunction with it if you need it. But more than anything, you need to tap into yourself and know what really helps you. Being in the sunshine, for example, I need the vitamin D. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a strong support system, people that understand or that people who want to understand. I wouldn't say that people understand necessarily because unless you're going through it, it's almost like you can't really understand uh, what it feels like to be this way. But the way I look at it now is I'm not really anyway. I'm just Nick. I'm Nick and I, I'm anything. Uh, I'm Nick, I have diabetes. Uh, I'm Nick, I have high cholesterol. I'm Nick, I, exactly. I'm Nick, I'm bipolar. This, what what's the difference? There is none. Do you think a lot of times people just get stuck on the label, and they don't want to come out and be able to get the help that they need? You know what was it that you you know I hear you say that here's my dad and the struggles that he went through going up, and now he's being treated. Hmm. What what helped him to know, hey, I need to do something about what I have? I honestly think in his case, um, and I think people need to understand that sometimes when people are in a state like that, they're incapable of helping themselves. When you are so depressed that you don't get out of bed, you don't shower, you don't eat, All you do is cry and you have no idea why you are hurting so much. And people have asked me, like, what does it feel like to be there? What it feels like to me is standing in the sunshine and feeling nothing. When I know when I stand in the sunshine, I could smell it. I could see the the dust moods, if that's what it is. I, I could feel the warmth on my skin. I could take that, you know, I know what I am supposed to feel, but I feel nothing. 
I feel empty. I feel hopeless. I, I just can't stop crying. And the thing is, how do you tell someone when they're like that to go get help? They're not in a place to help themselves. And in his case, his family recognized that, especially with the family history there. And his sisters, you know, helped to get him the right treatment and such. And I say sisters because my parents divorced. So, you know, I guess as they stay together would have been my mom. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you something, though he gets the treatment, my father does not, his life is, it's a very poor quality. He is that extreme that the medication itself still only just keeps him okay, you know, not, um, He's not leading a productive life the way I am, you know, with a job and a marriage and and happy. And that's so hard for me to not say accept because I've accepted it. But it hurts that I can't do more for him because now I've done so many live shows and audios and uh, so many people reach out to me to tell me, how much I've inspired them to know that it doesn't matter if you're bipolar, you deserve to live your best life. And you surround yourself with people that want to lift you up and you will succeed. And no matter how I try to reach him, I can't. You know, Cole, you, you mentioned that, and I like how you brought this out, that medication is a tool. Right. It is a tool if you use it correctly. And if you use it at the time that you, you need that tool. But at the same point in time, you, you describe bipolar as this, here's this depressed state. And it's like, you're wanting to help him, you know, and, and, and help others by social networking. And for our listeners, for some listeners who don't know what LinkedIn is, it's like a business Facebook that connects right. and social networks a business so that we could connect and grow our business or being able to help other people. Uh, you can find jobs through there as well. LinkedIn is nothing but a professional Facebook is what I look at it. And here you grew and you have this big networking you know, how is that helping you? We got about three minutes left. How is that yeah. helping you to be able to cope or deal with bipolar? Okay. My God, all I have to say is I never thought for a moment that I would find such a community. You know, people think social media you don't meet these people in real life, you know, they aren't really friends. You know, the thing is, our perception is our reality. And if I see it as something tangible, then it's tangible to me. I have encountered um, people who are so like-minded, who I consider my sisters, who can finish my sentences, who know something's wrong with me before I even say it. You know, social media, like anything else, if used correctly, will have benefits like anything else in this life. 
And if you do join a community and, uh, you know, you reciprocate, reciprocity is very important. You can't have a one-sided conversation. And because I was willing to open up about myself and put myself out there, I, I drew people to me. And, you know, these people feel supported by me and I by them. So, yes, it is a professional platform, as you say. But I think a lot of people like me start out there for professional reasons and end up staying for a lot of different reasons. I actually did find my current employer on there. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm living proof, living proof of it. You know, and and we think that if we isolate ourselves that we can heal or nobody's going to bother us or nobody's going to know and we hide in shame and guilt. But if we really confront the situations that we're in and really dig in and look deep that we're not alone, it's just our mind that fools us that we are alone. But finding that social connectivity helps draw out not only ourselves, but other people. And things like Coach Soul is a podcast that can help people to understand that they're not alone, that they can connect too with other people and, and being mm -hmm. able to be there. You know, Nicole, I really appreciate this segment. We're going to do a part two because there's more I want to draw out for our listeners when it comes down to bipolar. Uh, again, thank you very much. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for joining us today. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, be safe and be kind. Thank you.